We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Don't embarrass yourself anymore. Don't embarrass yourself, okay? Now, let's get to this game. I'm going to go with the Rams to win tonight. It's the ring ceremony. I mean, they get the Super Bowl championship. The host, they're going to be hyped, okay? And Jalen Ramsey is one of those people that basically admitted for the rest of us what the Rams are really feeling. People are talking about the Buffalo Bills more than they talk about the Los Angeles Rams. And we the reigning defending Super Bowl champions. What the hell is going on here? You know what I'm saying? I think they're going to come out there to send a message. I think the Buffalo Bills are the same kind of team that lost in the opener to the Pittsburgh Steelers last year. Right. Even though they were clearly a better team, I can see that happening tonight. Not that they are the better team, but I can see it happening tonight where the Buffalo Bills are definitely going to be an elite squad this year. They're definitely going to handle their business overall. But the opener on Thursday night, against the Los Angeles Rams, you know, with Cooper Cup, with Matthew Stafford and those boys, getting their rings, Aaron Donald, Floyd and the crew, I mean, all of that stuff. When you think about these guys and what they're bringing to the table with Ramsey and others, I think they're going to be ready for this game. I think it's going to be a nail-biter. I don't think it's going to be the shootout that everybody thinks it's going to be. I mean, if you want to call 34-31, something like that, a shootout, as of, I, I think shootout in the 40s, that's just me. But I, I can see this win. I can see this ending like a 33 to 31 victory for the Los Angeles Rams. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was the immortal Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, explaining why he took the Rams over the Bills in the kickoff. To the NFL season. Yeah. That's wow, the logic, Chris. The logic. Fantastic clip. Are you not entertained? I feel like that was Josh Allen just walking around, pants down, arms out. Just, are you not entertained? Yeah. Who do you think's more embarrassed today? Stephen A or the linebacker that 
Alan face shoved out of bounds while laughing at him. Well, I'd add in a third one and I'd go me. <laughs> if you can hand me, just hand me Seagram's right now. Let me end this. <laughs> Say, I, I, who was it? Iman or Mark pointed it out to it to throw it. Oh my god, I'm you terrified. And I caught it left-handed. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I left some uh, extra nuggets in there at the end of the <laughs> last episode that we did. He's like, man, we got to tighten that up. Yeah. We did have to tighten that up. I'm glad our listeners know. So far, we've tightened it up for this week because that's what I was discussing. Listen, we believe in honest radio. We like breaking down the fourth wall for our listeners. Chris and I fight all the time off air. About how the show went, how tight we were, how loose we were, how long I made small talk with Elf for. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> for the reason. I got the, two beers. Yeah, for the reason that was heard on the last episode, for those that caught it, because I did edit it out and re upload it. <laughs> of course you did. But yeah, I just. These game preview reviews, I want to keep them at an hour. See, keep Chris, them at an hour. And this is why I hate the idea of Twitter giving an edit button. I don't want you to be able to go back and edit a fucking tweet. No, if you said something stupid, I want that to stand the test of time. Was this the last one in there? That's the last Calypso cooler, sir. I gotta I'll have to get some more. It's Pineapple and coconut flavored, three point two percent. It's all sugar. All sugar. I'm over here, two fists and beers. We've had a night. We have had a night, and I wanted to finish with the recap. And it sounds backwards, but it's because this is my favorite part of the entire week when I get to talk about the game where the Buffalo Bills... We're, we're Quentin Tarantinoing this. <sighs> End with the podcast that's going to get put out first. Yeah, it's hilarious. <clears throat> like, I talked about the linebacker, right, that got shoved out of bounds. Yeah. I think my favorite part of that is Von Miller's reaction to that play. It was everything. It, it encapsulated that entire night. Von Miller, in his very first game in a Bills uniform, watching up in the Jumbotron, and he sees Josh Allen throw this guy, and he goes, oh, oh, shit. And he looks over at Tremaine Edmonds, and Tremaine Edmonds just kind of gives him this nonchalant look and raises his eyebrows and kind of almost shrugs. And he's just like, bro. Welcome to Buffalo. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. This shit happens. Like <laughs> the, the, Our quarterback is going to bench press some dudes against their will. And you as a defensive player, right? Because I know what's going through Vaughn's mind, right, in that game, in that moment. He's going, I've never been disrespected like that as a defensive player. That's disrespect. <laughs> That's disrespect. And he go, he's thinking to himself, no one has ever in my career done that to me. And Tremaine Edmonds is just like, no, he'll do it. <laughs> he, he will drop bombs on you. And also notice in Stephen A. Smith's uh, explanation for his betting habits, he could only name one guy at every position. He kept going, Leonard Floyd and them boys. Aaron Donald and, you know, those guys. Jalen Ramsey, you know, he's good. Yeah, because those were the only players. Didn't we talk about that? That was the crux of our podcast last week, is that there was nobody else. They had four guys trying to tentpole the entire defensive operation. I don't know if you saw it on on Twitter on Friday, but you know somebody took out their phone and just recorded their television. But back to back questions on Friday, Stephen A. was asked, um, "Who and who's going to score the most points this week for Week One?" And then he said, "The Chargers," and then. He was asked, who's going to win the game between the Raiders and the Chargers? And he said the Raiders. 
<laughs> okay. The Chargers are going to score the most points in football this week, but they're also going to lose. This is see that's one of those moments where like if you tried to call me out on something like that, I would just shoot you two finger guns and go I'm a bloviator, baby. <laughs> I don't have to be held accountable for such things. <laughs> and then I'd laugh my way to the bank to cash my fat paycheck. Instead, we're just over here cashing podcast paychecks, but hey, it keeps us deep in Montucky, doesn't it? It does. Ah, and they're going I'm, down smooth I'm, as we bring our... our yeah, our, I'm your, still doing this, the Seagram's, which the color of the Seagram's is almost the color to the Montucky can. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an electric blue. And I love how you sip it, like, out of the corner of your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> what are you trying to make this sophisticated, you fruit? Hey, <laughs> if you go back to the 80s, Bruce Willis made this sophisticated. Hey, don't fruit. don't even get me started. Those Bruce Willis commercials, guys, I was about to, you got me now. You fucking did it, Chris. I'm off the rails. Maybe it's the beer. I don't know. Those, first of all, the first Seagram's commercial is the Bruce Willis band singing on a, on a rickety rustic front porch, like out in the country somewhere going, Seagram's, golden wine coolers, Seagram's, golden wine coolers, sweating, it's dry. Mm-hmm. My, 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 my. And then he blows the harmonica a bunch. It's like, holy shit, who paid for this? Not only that, but who was swayed by this advertising? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need Bruce to sing the commercial next time he comes on the podcast. Oh, he and I. No, no, we can add it to our karaoke contest. But then there's the second one where it's him in a gold jacket with like a black under, like a turtleneck. So it's 1980s, so obviously that's acceptable. And he's at a bar and he orders two Seagram's, or three Seagram's. One for each of them and one for himself, and then somehow leaves with both ladies. Almost trying to insinuate that if you drink Seagram's at a bar, you're a cool guy. You could take home two girls at once because you're so cool. Because drinking Seagram's is cool, right? (laughs) Drinking Seagram's is for losers. (laughs) Yeah, give me a Zima. What a time to be alive that we get to... That we get to look back on Seagram's through that lens. Ah, <laughs> I love watching you sip that thing because I know it's terrible. Yeah. This is our week one recap, folks. The Buffalo Bills 31, the Rams 10. Your stats of the game. Matt Stafford, 29-41 for 70%, 240 yards, one touchdown, three picks, and a 63.1 rating. Josh Allen, 26-31, an 84% completion percentage, which is a career high, 297 yards, three touchdowns, two picks, and a 112 rating. Cooper Cup, 3 of 15, 128, and one touchdown. 13 of 15. 13 of 15. The only player with double-digit targets for either team. Bills outside wide receivers, 14 targets, 12 catches, 210, two touchdowns, and eight first downs. Big bad Allen Robinson, two targets, one catch for 12 yards. That's why I lost my fantasy matchup. Kyrie Elam Christian ben- and Christian Benford, eight targets, six receptions, 78 yards. Respect. Well, what's that? Uh, the if, to quote Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys, decent. Yeah, decent. Qu- quarterback Jalen Ramsey, six <clears throat> targets, five receptions, two touchdowns, one hundred and three total yards. Led all DBs in yardage allowed. I, I want to say that that was against a specific group of wide receivers, but I'm too drunk to know. Who gives a fuck? The Bills' defensive line: twenty-seven individual quarterback pressures, seven sacks. 11 hurries. You left out no blitzes. 
no blitzes. You also left out no punting. No punting. <laughs> Zero punts. The Bills are now, f- what, Four games out of their last six in the NFL with zero punts. We are the first team in NFL history to do it. Chris, you hosted your first Buffalo Bills game. I was so excited. Dude, I, it was like watching a kid, like as a father, it's like, I just watched my son take the training wheels off and ride down the sidewalk. He's hosting a party. or uh, He's going to do barbecue at the same time. Yeah. This is going to be awesome to watch this play out. Yeah, I was off all day. I don't work Thursdays, so I got two eight-pound pork shoulders. And thank God for Iman. I just listened to him. Yes! Because he was like, I'll put that on at 11 a.m. I was like, I'll put it later. because That was, was my play in my head was because the first time I did a pork shoulder, I was like two hours early from when I wanted it to be ready. The I smoked, I've smoked salmon, and that was ready like an hour and a half early <laughs> and then when you came over and we did i did the uh chickens and iman had to guess which rub was on of his rub was on which chicken that was like ready an hour in advance so I was like, i'm just gonna start later and iman was like probably start at 11 that thing was off the smoker at like eight the game was literally kicking off, and I'm watching Chris running around sweat. He's sweating. He literally had sweat beads on his forehead Yeah, as he's running around. And that's called flop sweat, folks. That's what that feeling is. I felt it at tailgates. I felt it at parties at my house when I was smoking and I was doing something that I was trying to impress people with. But it was good. Oh, of course it was good. You did a great job with it. Jessica but, made a but tell me that pre- But tell me that pressure. Yeah. Tell pressure me the pre- was- that, that performance pressure. Yeah, you yeah. like that. It was good. Jessica made coleslaw. Her coleslaw has lemon in it. It was one of the most amazing things. It also made salsa. God, I, st- I I ate the fuck out of that when I got home. I was hammered. Yep, homemade salsa. I was hammered, went home, and ate half the container of salsa champs. She sent me home with... What I love about the way Chris hosts a party, he's, he's more thoughtful than I am. Chris, I, I show up and there's buckets all over the basement. Yeah. Chris, what was in those buckets? Montucky. And cold what snacks. was your reasoning? That you were always an arm length away from a beer. Chris goes, I know that if Drew wanders over here to go yell about something and he needs a beer, I want a bucket of beer to be there readily accessible. <laughs> it's brilliant, Mark. That's brilliant. It, it's brilliant. You are what that, that, that was one of the best hosting jobs I've ever seen anyone pull yeah. off in their first attempt at it. So if you stand, if you go stand out and if you you come in the basement, there's like a long hallway. The podcast room is off to the right, and then once you get to the end of the hallway, it's just one giant room. And then to the right is my old high top kitchen table. Yep, and then couch and a a big my, sectional couch. My sectional couch, and then coffee table and then there's a we have a pool table in the basement and then we got a like a bar top bar style top. long yeah. skinny table with bar stools underneath so you had all three of the like the coffee table the kitchen table and the high top bar table all had buckets of montucky on it i loved it now also because of over preparing, I already I have four bags of ice to bring you for the tailgate <laughs> in the freezer out in the garage. That's the other thing I forgot to tell you about hosting. You get stuck with a lot of extra shit because you always think you always prepare more than you need 
for almost everything. I was preparing... Two pork butts was aggressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... How much of that did you freeze? Uh, I don't know. That there A lot of it. Prob- probably. Probably about half of it, but it's okay. It's but okay. But also with the amount of liquor that I have, I didn't yeah. know if people would want so liquor. you bought more? No. I mean, but we got a f- refrigerator for the basement, and I've been making cocktail ice, like... Since we got it, I have over a hundred. I have over a hundred uh, rocks cubes of ice. Jesus, Christ. for old fashions and shit like that. Well, you did good. You yeah. aced it. You aced your first. You aced your first test of hosting a Buffalo Bills game. Hey, here's a Montucky. Why don't you celebrate with me? All right. Yeah. Whoop! There you ah. go. Oh, and he caught it. God, this throwing beers across the room thing, I'm getting better at it. Yeah. You know who else aced their first real test? Motherfucking Ken Dorsey. Yep. Last week, I detailed for everyone listening to this that the Rams' defense wasn't as deep or as talented as their reigning Super Bowl champ moniker might have made him seem, and that we shouldn't be worried about the Bills' ability to move the football if Allen was on his A game. And yet there was still a lot of concern among Bills fans and people who prognosticate football that the Bills offense under a first-time offensive coordinator might not be as fluid or as varied as it needed to be to keep pace with some of the NFL's best units, the Rams, the Chiefs, the Chargers. There was also this narrative among fans, mostly of teams around the AFC East, that started to gain traction of, we've never seen Allen without Dable. And there's no guarantees he's as as good as he used to be. To all of you, this is what Ken Dorsey had to say. Everyone can eat shit! A big bag of shit! (laughs) I'm the greatest man in the world! Woo! What Dorsey showed on Thursday wasn't just that the Bills' offense will be just fine in terms of offensive coordinator and quarterback synergy. And that his ability to communicate effectively both from the booth while analyzing a defense's ever-changing approach throughout the course of a game. He also showcased that he might have a better feel for play design and the timing of an offense than Dable ever did. My exhibit A for this is the opening drive. The Bills were one of the league's best teams in 2021 in terms of scoring on their opening possessions of football games. So it shouldn't have been a shock to see them go down the field and score to open the first half. But what I loved was the way that it happened. Because for a team known for its ability to just get chunk yardage and aggressive downfield passing, this drive had an incredible amount of savvy to it. Chris, for the first time this season, I've got a chart for you. What do you have in front of you? Opening drive air yards by play. Yeah. So a nine-play touchdown drive. I want you to just read it off. Who was the target of the play, and how many total yards did the – or how many air yards did the play net? You got uh, digs, five air yards, total of six yards. Then Allen, no air yards, scrambled, seven yards. Singletarity. No air yards and run seven yards. Singletary, three air yards, total of six yards. And then uh, Singletary with a run, two total yards. Diggs, six air yards, 12 total yards. Moss, that's a run, no air yards for one yard. Moss, four air yards, totaled eight yards. And then 
Gabe Davis touchdown pass, 15 air yards, total of 27. You know, when we were watching that first drive, I was standing over by where the high top table is, and I was talking to Heather, Jessica's friend, who uh, works at Black Button. Might have to have a relationship there. But she pointed at, I was talking to her during the first drive. She pointed at you. You were to the right of the television, and you looked, you had your hands on your quads, bent down like you're a coach, <laughs> like you're ready. <laughs> and Heather Heather was like, what's going on here? I'm like, oh, yeah, you've never watched a, a game with Drew before. Get ready. <laughs> well, get ready, folks. The Drew Gear Show just blew into town. Yeah, I think you waterboarded her boyfriend, Josh, who oh, has season tickets in yeah, a I section did. over from Hey, us. listen, he started it. <laughs> I was minding my own business. If you poke the bear, listen, I'll turn on you. God. I turn on you quick. <laughs> it's... I will waterboard you to death. if you, Especially when I'm in a... When I'm two-fisting Montuckies and the Bills are winning. Don't get me... Don't get me riled up. Yeah, especially if after that opening drive. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Dude, I... I remember just walk. I just remember running around your basement yelling, "That's how you debate. <laughs> that is how you debate." Dorsey set these guys up the way. Like if you've ever watched a high level boxer operate, you'll watch him work the body, throw jabs, maybe some hooks to the body with some timing combinations to kind of lull their opponent into trying to pick up on what they're they're perceiving as a pattern of striking. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, unleash just a vicious uppercut. Because they're like, listen, my first 40 punches was just to get this one. And if I can get this one, I'm going to end this thing in the late first round with a knockout. That's what this drive was. They lulled them into a genuine belief that their two high safety looks were going to go untested. And the second that they bit and gave a single high look, Allen hit them with a play action pass that was so well sold and had the D so out of position that Davis was untouched on his way into the end zone. And it wasn't just the way it broke down. The design of the play was a thing of beauty. Brian Baldinger gave it a minute and a half breakdown on Twitter, which you can see at our Twitter page. I just, I'm going to go retweet it as we speak. At Rock Power Report, you can find it, or just look for Brian Baldinger. Gave it a minute and a half breakdown. They literally put our right tackle on the left side of the offensive line. And a stacked eye formation with the fullback on the field and only one wide receiver on the unbalanced side. Every Chris, tight ends, you have a right guard, right? Right. You have Ryan Bates yep. over on the far side. And you have a, uh, I don't even know who was over there. I think it was Mitch Morse. And that's it. You had two bodies on that side of the line. Uh, right tackle. That was it. You had Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown, Ryan Bates on the right side. Everybody else is on the left side. And your right tackle. Oh, no. Spencer Brown was over there on the other side. You unbalanced the line, brought an eye formation, and faked Gilliam as the fullback to the left. Right? The safeties come down into the box because that's obviously a run formation. And then, like a lunatic, at the snap, you pull Ryan Bates across the formation instead of staying home to block Aaron Donald who you watch in the replay wrap around the backside of the play and chase that running back. If Donald had any inkling about what was going to happen, he has a direct line to a bootlegging Josh Allen, which would have been a monstrous 
catastrophic collision in the backfield, it would have, it maybe might have killed him. Like, you could have gotten our quarterback murdered on this play. Didn't matter. Drive stalling yards of loss of yards, regardless. But because Dorsey and Allen are both fucking lunatics, <laughs> they're both madmen. They run this play, and it's so crazy that it catches everyone off guard. And it's an easy bootleg play-action touchdown pass. That's Chris, when's the last time you saw a Bills offensive coordinator flummox a defense that badly? Last year, I don't know if you remember, we had Brian Dable. He was pretty good. Got a head coaching job, which at this rate, Ken Dorsey, going to get a head coaching job. <laughs> well, an Exhibit B was not being afraid to pick at the weaknesses. I mean, we talked about the lack of depth that the defensive back chart was for the Rams. Dorsey rolled formations that put his best players in positions to be successful simply by knowing and mercilessly exposing the weaknesses of their opponent. Diggs had two or more catches on three different defensive backs, including Jalen Ramsey. Davis catches against three different cornerbacks, not only beating Ramsey, but also feasted on David Long Jr. for another 57 yards. Crowder, three catches against three different defensive backs, all of which went for first downs. Now, obviously, it's Allen's vision and arm that makes the play happen. But Dorsey dialed up plays that gave Allen options to get the ball out quickly. And just to victimize those under-talented defensive backs and to ensure that the offense could keep pace without having to worry about the pass rush of the Rams making a mess of everything. He answered all of the questions of whether or not a first-time offensive coordinator could do who... And not just any first-time offensive coordinator, but a guy who had been in the building and gotten a synergy with Josh Allen, who understands who Josh is, what he likes, what he doesn't like. His Josh Allen's level, because I'll tell you what, that bootleg, ridiculous formation touchdown pass doesn't happen if Josh, if Ken Dorsey doesn't get to know Josh Allen and goes, hey, if I have a more conservative cornerback, a quarterback, a Ryan Tannehill, uh, Tua Tungavelloa, I'm not running that play. Because I need a quarterback who's not afraid to die. <laughs> I need a quarterback who's not afraid to, hey, we're gonna form, we're gonna form this play up, but you are totally naked out here. And if the defense sniffs it out, you're gonna get killed. And Josh Allen's like, fuck it. Let's go. Let's roll the dice. These two proved, I think, in those moments that the synergy is there for this to be a highly effective, high-level NFL offense for the foreseeable future. I love it. I'd like to see. I'd like to see us score over thirty a game. God. I also like the fact that McDermott and Frazier answered the bell on defense. I and mean, one of the questions we asked last week was, "Can McDermott go up against elite offensive minds and find a way to not be outcoached?" History hasn't been kind to him, and especially in moments under the bright lights. This time around, the Bills coaching staff at every level was what it needed to be. And the other team, like, they couldn't match what we brought to the table just from a preparation standpoint and from a coaching standpoint. Like, we were more prepared than our opponents. Were you surprised to see them come out of a halftime where the Bills turned the ball over multiple times in the first half completely unfazed? I wouldn't have been surprised if coming out of the second half it would have been a repeat of two years ago. Because we were up big at the half, 
And then McVeigh opened the door for him. McVay against this, against made this adjustments. Team. Yeah, McVeigh made adjustments and came out swinging. I figured that's what we were going to see to start the second half. Chris, give and, it a goog. What was the score at halftime of that game? Uh, I, I'll give it a goog, but I know the Rams didn't score at all in the second half. No, no, no. I'm talking about the game in 2020. Oh, from two years ago? What was the score at halftime? The Bills were up big. I want to say it was like tw- I want I want to say it was twenty eight to three, twenty eight to three. Yeah, because I think people were making references to the Patriots Super Super Bowl. So to know that once upon a time we let we let up and they came back, and this time Sean McDermott was like, "No, fuck you." We shut the door. Now it's now is when we close this thing out. I like that. Did you expect that level of composure on the whole from the Bills defense? No, Sean McVay is real smart. I thought he was going to have something schemed up uh, to get back in the game, and they just they couldn't do it. Week three, box score. You got to write down that. Week three, go box score. Yeah. I love this website, Pro Football Reference. All right. 28 to 3. 28 to 3 at the half. Or, no, 21 3. 21 3. And then we made it 28 to 3 early in the third. Yeah. And it ended up being a three-point margin And then they of had four touchdowns in a row. <laughs> this time, Sean McDermott was like, fuck you, I'm closing the door. Our defense isn't going to let you get back in on us. And that, I, I just, the level of composure in that second half from our defense was a new thing for us. And I think a huge part of it came down to the way that they kind of organized the defensive line. When you look at this, their spacing was incredible. You've heard of a wide nine formation, Chris, right? Heard of it. Okay, you've heard of it. The Bills didn't, I don't know if you can classify what we did as wide nine, but it, it was out there. It's when you spread your four linemen out wider than normal in terms of a four three. Because you want to make these offensive tackles off the snap have to acclimate to the athleticism of the players across from them. I mean, it, this goes back to the days of the cold front. Defense where it was Mario Williams and Kyle Williams and Marcel Darius in his prime and Jerry Hughes, what, 10 sacks that year? With sounds, Jerry about, Hughes. sounds about right. So, like, you're going back to that type of defensive line play. They spaced everybody out, spread them thin, and then just worked them with their athleticism. I mean, you, you go back to that play. You know, you go back to that play where the, the I think it was uh, Jordan Phillips who spun across the face of that guard. He's wide, off the shoulder of the left tackle, spins back. And, you know, we'll talk about talk about it in a minute. I'm 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 getting away from myself. The production of the scheme not only helped keep our rookie corners. You heard it in the stats. Keep them clean. Those young kids had a real task in front of them. And it helped keep them clean using the fact that our defensive line owned the line of scrimmage. We let them get nothing going on the game. Cam Akers finished the game, ruined uh, my uncle's fantasy football league, lost by one point because Cam Akers got zero. That's how much they owned the line of scrimmage. But also, you look at Von Miller, third highest pass rush win rate in the NFL. Epinesa. Epinesa somehow looks useful again, showing bursts and a little bit of life. Four pressures, two hits, and a share of two sacks. Boogie Basham was our second highest rated pass rusher ahead of Von Miller with his four pressures and a sack on just 20 snaps. Eight 
fourth solo run stops by defensive linemen, which is more than any other position group on the defense and more than any other defensive line had solo across the NFL. The approach that they brought out won't work every week, but in this one, it was more than enough to not only command the line of scrimmage and keep the just keep LA's rushing attack, just make it a non-factor. But it also forced Stafford to spend almost the whole game looking for a hot route, a hot wide receiver, calling audibles for quick developing patterns. He never got a chance to try to beat Kyrie Elam or Christian Benford downfield, did he? No. No, because he just made, our defensive coordinator made sure we're going to put the heat on you, except we're not going to blitz. We're just going to let the overwhelming athleticism of this defensive line work your, just work your guards, your tackles. Fuck you guys. You don't have an Andrew Whitworth anymore. Good luck. I mean, you saw Von Miller just work. That was that note boom. I have no idea. Whatever I couldn't see his, his nameplate. He was on his back. <laughs> he was always flopping and falling and trying to chase. But yeah, it's uh, it was amazing. The, the other thing that really helped is the fact that our fan base is a bunch of fucking lunatics. Every reporter in attendance had something to say about not just the number of Bills fans, but the ferocity with which the people in attendance were supporting their team from start to finish. Matt Stafford admitted in the aftermath of the game that they usually prepare with a silent count because away fans outnumber their own fans at games. And the Bills really let these guys have it. I mean, there was a false start on their opening drive because they couldn't hear the snap count. I, the, earlier this afternoon, I was editing a little bit of... Blake and Reed's after the snap podcast, which is going to come out on Friday. But Reed said it like felt like a home game. 40, he said like 45, 55, 50, 50 was the split to him for fan base. Isn't that nice? Yeah. <clears throat> Can you imagine what opening day is going to be like? God, if you bring that kind of energy on the road, let's let's bring it into our own house. Holy shit. God, I'm getting fired up just thinking about it. I'm opening another beer. <laughs> God damn. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You tri- triple fisting? Yeah, it's a first. A first for the Rockies. You get two Montuckies and an IPA? Yes. I'm chasing an IPA with Montucky. That's where we're at. That's where we're at tonight in podcasting, folks. 
I'm fired up. We're having a good time. We're talking about one of the most successful week ones of my entire life. And I think that the reason for this, the reason I'm so just, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I'm, I'm loose. I'm pumped. It's because remember we ended the last key to victory from last week's show. That God, that was like two weeks ago. I don't remember. Josh Allen. Josh Allen proved that he is still somehow ascending as an NFL quarterback. And this guy's an absolute monster. Remember the guy who was screaming on the sidelines of the Kansas City game about how they forgot who the fuck I was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he came out and just reminded the entire country that he is still that dude. And let the world know that the guy we saw down the stretch of the 2021 season is exactly, whether Stephen A. Smith wants to fucking admit it or not, that's who Josh Allen is. You heard Stephen A. Smith at the top of the show. Nah, Josh Allen, you know, I think this offense, I think that that's who they are. That week one Steelers game. I know I'm doing a terrible Stephen A. Smith. He's terrible. He doesn't deserve a good impression. No, no. Josh Allen just put everyone on notice. Hey, that guy that you saw just two, two-handed tomahawk dunking on, on the New England Patriots. Doing the, the, the back reverse shimmy away from the goal line after throwing a touchdown pass. <laughs> that guy is who Josh Allen still is. Do you catch um, Poyer on Pat McAfee? No. Yeah, Poyer was on Pat McAfee. This and, week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm going to go listen to it. Yeah. Fuck. I'm going to do it tonight. After my 15th beer, yeah. I'm going to listen to that. He, apparently... I don't know if it was after the stiff arm or after a touchdown, but like Allen like came to the sideline and and like did hit you know that the photo from last year where he's yeah with Gabe Davis oh yeah him and Gabe Davis yeah. flexing yeah showing off his traps he, he apparently came to the sideline and Jordan Poyer said like he did that and went I'm a dog oh, <laughs> I'm a dog <laughs> it's amazing. Right? Like, look yeah. at this guy. Just six incomplete passes, hyper-efficient six of nine beyond 10 air yards for 169 total yards, 16.8 yards per attempt when the Rams managed to get pressure on him. Like, when he was pressured, his his yards per attempt went up, which is basically telling NFL defensive coordinators everywhere, go ahead, blitz, send pressure. I will fucking kill you. <laughs> I will die. I will. I'll get away from your pressure and I will eviscerate you. Don't do it. You know, You're better off staying home and waiting for me to just run through you. You know, one of your famous pre-draft quotes on him is beer in each hand, launching yourself backwards down the stairs. That's how that guy plays football. He's got a beer in his hand. He's just like, fuck you. I'm Josh Allen. He's shoving people people over like I've seen fat guys at Applebee's trying to get to the bar for half-price wing, uh, half-price boneless wings. Yeah, that's Josh Allen just trying to get to victories. He's like, fuck you. I'm supposed to be here. I'll I'll talk to a manager. If we get to the Super Bowl and we went like, at this rate, you feel a Super Bowl is coming. Sometime while he's our quarterback. Oh, you uh, think I won't double fist down the stairs? No. Fuck you. I'll we're going to have to get a video of you 
double-fisted launching yourself backwards down the stairs at City Hall. Do it. Done. Signed and signed, sealed and delivered. Now Josh Allen just has to make it happen. But with that performance, I mean, do you doubt him? He threw for 109 yards, one touchdown and no sacks, and a 156 passer rating anytime the Rams blitzed. That's wild. What did we open the last show with? I don't even remember. It was Rich Eisen. Oh, yeah. Talking about Josh Allen being inevitable. Like Thanos from the Marvel Universe, if you're a nerd. In this game, you could feel it. Even with three turnovers in the first half, it was inevitable that he was going to bulldoze his way over that Rams defense. There wasn't anything they could do. There was no act of God that could step in and help them. He laid waste to their team and set the benchmark for quarterback rating combined with EPA rating for the week, just ahead of Patrick Mahomes, proving that for at least another week, the quarterbacking hierarchy in the NFL remains Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and a bunch of guys who can only hope that someday they are as dominant as this fucking guy. Now, again, it would be... Because, Chris, at this point, we can almost every single week... If we're talking about Hero and Zero, we almost every single week we could make this, a case for Josh Allen. So we have to absolve him from this for another year. I want to start our Hero and Zero of the Week segment talking about the Zero. And this week it's running back James Cook. You get an F minus in my book. Chris, do you remember the game against San Francisco back in 2020 when Zach Moss fumbled inside her own five yard line? And I just. A, a, obliterated a wicker chair out on the back patio. Yeah, that was uh, it was a gift from Kyle Trimble, and that is it is a gift that I would throw up on Twitter from now and again when I got to use you slamming some wicker. It's that that play. What I love about that night was it was your landlord's first real brush with watching a football game with me because she'd seen she'd watched games with us twice before that. And she was like, I don't understand what all this hype is about Drew watching football. And you kept telling her, like, no, 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 just watch. It gets fun. Yeah, because watch it gets fun. He turns into an ape. I think the first <laughs> first two times Jessica watched with us, it was they like were convincing they were, victories. Yeah, blowouts. The Jets game where you made me bet a Seagram's that he wouldn't bet a. I, I bet you a Seagram's week one that he wouldn't pass three hundred yards passing, and he did it with like early in the third quarter. Yeah, with ease. And I only bet that because no quarterback for the Bills had done it in God knows how long. So it was just, it was 2020. So we're going through this season. She'd never gotten to see a real Drew Gear freak out until that moment when Zach Moss puts it on the carpet. A moment after we have a goal line stand, Zach Moss puts it on the rug and they punch it in for a touchdown and I'm outside just obliterating wicker furniture that somebody worked really hard to build sometime back in the 80s, I'm assuming. Yeah. Do you think that all the wicker furniture that exists was made in like a 10-year window and they're just slowly like... Maybe. Because, because in 15 years, I bet you there is no wicker. I bet you it actually ceases to exist in about 10 years. I hope so. It's like it's it's almost like we need to protect wicker like the rainforest. Except I won't. Not when people do shit like this. The reason I go back to that game... <sighs> First of all, it was her first brush with off-the-rails Drew. 
And it was also proof that when it comes to rookies, McDermott has no patience. Zero. He has no patience for growing pains, especially if he doesn't have to use that guy. Right? Like, he had to go back to to Trey White, his rookie year, when he got abused by A.J. Green. He didn't have a choice. He has a choice when it comes to running backs. Moss was relegated to the bench for the rest of the game, and even as the team, like, they're trying to salt away a blowout victory, Moss was cool in his heels. By fumbling on his very first NFL carry, Cook put himself in the exact same doghouse, and the result was pretty much the same. Cook caught a pass later in the game. He was out there for a couple more snaps late in the game. But on the whole, phased right out of the game plan the second he put the ball on the carpet. I know it's hard to crush a kid for making a mistake like that, especially when you consider that some really impactful running backs just recently, Kareem Hunt, Ramondre Stevenson, guys, they've done the same thing fumbled their very first carry, and went on to produce that same season. It's just one isolated mistake. Where I got frustrated by it, though, is when you think about the larger impact on the roster for game day. Making Cook active for this game, the team made rookie wide receiver Khalil Shakir inactive so that they could carry four running backs. (sighs) Considering the efficiency, which I predicted last week correctly, that the team was going to have going at the nickelbacks in the third and fourth, fifth defensive backs down the depth chart for Los Angeles. This could have been a nice matchup for a young wide receiver with some explosive elements to his game to get his feet wet. I'm pissed off that they wasted that opportunity and then just put Cook on the bench. But that's Cook's fault, right? Chris, if he had taken that ball for a four or five yard gain, the team probably would have kept going back to him, wouldn't they? Yeah. The fact that he became an empty shirt over the course of that game is his own fault. Again, it's one mistake. I'm not. I'm not going to say. I'm not prognosticating that he's a bust. That he was a terrible pick. That he's not going to acclimate. It doesn't matter. But you wasted an opportunity for another guy to get a chance to get a taste of NFL football in a very advantageous situation. I'm just frustrated by that. And now the problem is, is that we're going to have to wait for another week to see either of them get to produce on an NFL stage. And since I can't blame Shakir for that, I have to go with Cook. There's an honorable mention here for Ryan Bates. Okay. Cause Bates put up a 9.0 pass block grade and a 73% pass rush win rate while spending most of the game contending with Aaron Donald. Now, I thought we were done seeing single-digit pass block grades when we got rid of Cody Ford. This was Cody Ford-esque. Yes, Aaron Donald is a force of fucking nature. And no, I'm not going to overreact too much to what was a really forgettable night by Bates. But on a night when things went so very right for so many other people on the roster... Bates left SoFi Stadium just happy to get back to the fucking plane and hoping that everybody was so enthralled by the show that Josh Allen put on that nobody was paying attention to him. (laughs) Bates, I'm sorry. We are the Pettiest Bills podcast. We noticed. We saw it. Burn that fucking tape. There is nothing of value you can learn from it other than you should hope Donald retires before you have to play him again. (laughs) (sighs) But 
There is our hero of the night, and that's defensive tackle Jordan Phillips. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. <laughs> he is indeed. Jordan Phillips was supposed to be a backup, wasn't he? Allegedly. Vaughn Miller, Tim Settle, Daquan Jones, those were the highlights of the Bills' free agency period. These were guys who were brought here to remake the defensive line and let Ed Oliver start playing like the Pro Bowl caliber star that we saw at the end of 2021 on a more consistent basis. And then Ed Oliver hurt his ankle. Had to come out of the game early. And for a minute, it seemed like we were going to have a real problem on our hands. I want to. I want you guys to hear this as I grab another beer because I've I've only got two in front of me. In his introductory press conference, Jordan Phillips said this: "I just want to be a, a piece of the puzzle. I'm not going to do anything different. What you guys saw from me before is what you're going to get. Uh, I'm not going to be try to be Superman. There's a whole bunch of Supermen on this team. Just do your job, and I'll get done. And I'll get done." That's Jordan Phillips from his intro press conference when he re-signed with us in the offseason. From buffalobills.com. Not trying to be Superman. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it by the way that Jordan Phillips put his fucking cape on, flew onto the football field, and genuinely did it all. We watched him line up as a three-tech. As a one-tech. There was my favorite rep where I don't even know what you call this, he lined up between the left guard and the left tackle. I think I talked about this earlier in the the show. Von Miller is spread out way off because you're talking about this wide nine formation. He's way off between the left tackle and left guard's shoulders. And then at the snap, spins across the left guard's face after getting him off balance with a false first step and then just blows untouched between him and the center. And you've got Cam Akers, who just looked at him and was like, nah, nah, don't want to. I'll go out for a pass. He comes right down Main Street for a monster hit on Stafford as Stafford's trying to deliver a pass. It was one of the most physically impressive plays I've seen from a Bills defensive tackle in years. Anything Ed Oliver's done. Ed Oliver had a hell of a season last year. Jordan Phillips in that one moment encapsulated everything that we were missing. Explosiveness, get off, aggression. Jesus Christ, if I told you before the game that Von Miller would be tied for the team lead in sacks, you'd probably believe that, right, Chris? Uh, if I said tied for the team lead in sacks, you'd go, mm, I yeah, guess. No. Okay. What if I told you the guy that he tied was a backup defensive tackle? Yeah, I wouldn't believe that at all. And that that defensive tackle would be leading the team in pressures, not Von Miller, or that he'd be the fifth highest rated defensive tackle in the NFL for pass rush win rate at any point this season. That dynamic alone is why he is my hero of the game. This is a dude who showed up here ready to go, listen, I I, I made my bones in Buffalo. I pulled a peerless price. I, I had success here. I parlayed that into a lucrative contract somewhere else and it really didn't work out. So I kind of just came back here on the cheap. I'm just, I'm just back here to do my job. I'm back here to hang out. 
And then he comes out and puts on that performance. Puts on his fucking cape and turns into a hero for our defense. He's my hero of the night, dude. There, there's, there's no one else that I would rather pin that honor on. Final thoughts walking out of this thing before we close the book on this and move to week two. Um, I would go kind of pigging off of what you just said. I might go like my hero and final thought on this is the way our corners played with Benford, Elam, and Dane Jackson. You knew Cup, Cup was going to get his. He was going to. He's the best receiver in the league, bar none. I mean, what do you, what do you, 15 targets, 13 catches. Then you get Allen Robinson coming over. From, where did he come from? From Chicago, right? <laughs> Chicago? I think so. Yeah, and yeah he, he's, Chicago. So he's been with Chicago and Jacksonville to start his career. Mm-hmm. So he's never had great quarterback play. So that was like an X factor for me going into the game. Is like, oh, Allen Robinson, he's now got a quarterback. And I thought our corners did a phenomenal job for being young and inexperienced and needing to play with Trey White still out with his ACL tear. I thought our corners did well. See, here's what I'll say to you about that. I just went back to pro football reference, and I'm looking at snap counts from 2017 when Sean McDermott got here and broke the drought. Here was the cornerbacks that he did it with. Tredavious White. Obviously, we know what he is. Leonard Johnson, I'm I'm just I'm reading them down in order of the number the percentage of snap counts that they acquired that they acquired over the course of the season. Leonard Johnson was your number two corner. EJ Gaines was slightly behind him. Sharice Wright. Who? Yeah. Lafayette Pitts. Those were your cornerbacks the year that Sean McDermott took over the Buffalo Bills and made the goddamn playoffs and broke the drought. It's not great. They're, they're not great? I don't know who any of these fucking people are. They're, 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 they're literally names lost to the history of Bills lore. Why? Because they weren't great. Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier are great. They made these guys passable. They made these guys effective. And so going into this, we should have probably given them more credit for being able to work with young defensive backs with length and speed and size and talent that they got to scout with their own two eyes. That 2017 roster was one cobbled together by a first-time head coach and new defensive coordinator, a new GM. Like, that's it. This team was cobbled together, and they made the playoffs. So we should have given him more credit when he brought in a bunch of a bunch of guys that we didn't know with no experience. And he said, listen, if there's one thing I can do, it's coach DBs. Trust me. We should have trusted him more. That's one of my final thoughts. But here's, here's how I want to end this show. I want to talk about what came after. The morning after this one ended, I celebrated my victory hangover. By reaching out to Aaron Quinn over a cover one with a request. I said, listen, now, now mind you, I'm shirtless at this point. Just laying on my couch like a fucking just, just like a gorilla, just a real hunk of garbage. I go, I need you to do me a favor. Take that photo. Now, you know, the photo, 
Or maybe you don't because you don't watch documentaries and sports. No. Uh, the, uh, the, the Jordan documentary. Yep. There's a scene where he hugs Larry Bird. And when he goes to hug him, he's like, fuck you, you bitch. <laughs> and he's just like, he's like, yeah, I hate you, but I, I respect you. I celebrated my victory hangover by going to Aaron Quinn and saying, listen, I need you to do me a favor. Can you take that photo of Jordan hugging Larry Bird and saying that phrase where he drops expletives on him? I need, I need the quote at the bottom. I need the words to be visible. And I need you to Photoshop Jalen Ramsey's face over uh, Larry Bird. And I need you to put a Josh Allen jersey on Michael Jordan. The resulting meme is one that I'll hang on to for a long, long time. Probably as long as Josh Allen will hang on to the chip on his shoulder when it comes to that fucking guy. I'm going to read you the quote because it hasn't aged well. I think, said in context, Josh Allen is trash. I don't care what nobody say. He's trash. And it's going to show, too. That's a stupid draft pick to me. We play them this year, and I'm excited as hell. I hope he's their starting quarterback. He played at Wyoming. Every time they played a big school, like they played Iowa State, which is not a big school in my opinion, because I went to Florida State, and he threw five interceptions, and they lost by a couple touchdowns or something like that. In the aftermath of a game that saw Ramsey drop to 0-3 against Josh Allen all time, where he gave up more than 100 yards and a perfect passer rating. This is what Ramsey had to say. Josh Allen, like 6'6", 260. Right. Yeah, big old He's 6'6", 260, got a cannon. Even the touchdown he, he threw on me, like, he was scrambling up in the pocket and just flicked it, and then went 50 yards. Let me ask you a question. What were you thinking trying to dump him? Oh, I wanted... You going to get him off his feet? I did, though. Okay, okay. <laughs> at least one foot. At least one foot. I ain't... Well, we used to, uh, nah, he a, he, a, he a big boy, but you used to he, be picking people up and slam them. It didn't quite go that any, way. Any, anybody else, they on that ground yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, fact, he's 6'6", 260, though. He's like one of them projects who turned out to, like, they hit oh, on he the real deal. They yeah. hit. They hit. They yeah. hit on that project. Yeah, like, sometimes you don't see that. Sometimes, you know, a guy might have a good year, and then they fade off, because it's like, ah, uh, that project kind of failed a little bit. Whatever, nah, they, they hit on that. Jalen Ramsey had a microphone from, I don't know where that came from. It was from Twitter. I don't give a fuck where it came from. Sue me. Sue me. I don't give a fuck. Contrition from one of the NFL's biggest trash talkers. You just hate to see it, don't you, Chris? Yeah. I wonder if that's enough. I wonder if that's enough to get Josh to let up on him. I hope not. And I don't think it is. As a guy who understands what having a chip on your shoulder is like, I I don't see that going away. But here's what I wonder. I wonder if this game is enough to get Bills fans to relax a little. There was a lot of hand-wringing going on before this game. You know, one of my buddies from work traveled to L.A. for the game. And beforehand, he and I were talking about the game, and I was trying to tell him everything I told you guys in the podcast about the lack of depth, this, that, that. And he goes, yeah, but it's the Bills. I'm still flying L.A., but it's it's going to be a tight one, and I don't know. There was a lot of angst. 
because the Bills had what looked like so many hurdles to find victory in this game. I mean, they have to travel to the far West Coast. Primetime game. Missing an all-pro talent cornerback against dynamic pass catchers. In-game injury to your starting defensive tackle. The guy who you're expecting to bring the pain in between the tackles in terms of pass rush. Then you go and you throw two turnovers in the first half. In any time except for 2022, the year of our Lord, that would be a recipe for a shit show of a football game and a dogfight that probably would not go the way of the Buffalo Bills. Instead, we boat raced the defending Super Bowl champions in embarrassing fashion in their house as they raced. Dude, we took the banner down from the rafters that night. We were like, yeah, celebrate this shit some other time because we're here now. And because none of these problems, individually or collectively, can outweigh what this team has. It's a great coaching staff a veteran roster, and the craziest freak athlete, freak competitor, and pettiest son of a bitch to ever call themselves an NFL quarterback in Josh Allen. And as long as we have that, it's going to take more than anything that the Rams brought to the table on Thursday night to stop the Buffalo Bills. (laughs) That's how I feel about this football game. Damn it, Chris. It feels good to be a gangster. Yeah. <sighs> One week down. 18 more to go. Oh, my God. Where where did we finish here? I'm 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah. I got, <laughs> we tied last week. Well, I got I'm five. I, mean, I don't know if you guys can tell from my voice, but I'm under the weather. Yeah, well, I'm going to have one more on his behalf <clears throat> just because. Just we can't <laughs> let this travesty stand. Listen, that's back, what we do. We all Back-to-back weeks of 19. Listen, like Jordan Phillips, I'm going to sweep in and save the day. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, those are rookie numbers. I'll pump those, rock, those numbers up. Guys, make sure you tune into our preview show that's going to drop tomorrow night and our AFC's Roundup. We're going to have Patriots fans at the edge of their sanity. The sky already falling in New Jersey. (laughs) Cockiness for the first time since I can remember in South Beach. It's going to be a great podcast with a bunch of great divisional podcasters. Our preview show of our Monday Night Football matchup against the Tennessee Titans, which, Chris, I think I talked about it earlier tonight. I was, a sh- I was afraid we, we talk about Titans fans hating their own offensive coordinator, and I didn't get to use the line you know, just to describe their offensive coordinator, Todd Downing. Like, yeah, he, he's like Homer Simpson. He's like, yeah, I'm stupid. Stupid like a fox. I'll show you. And then he runs and puts a pot on his head and runs into the wall. So with that said, you need to listen to both of our upcoming podcasts Hopefully you enjoyed this one, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been our Week 1 Recap. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.